Now, if you're going to hold on to it, if it's going to be a legacy property, you're buying it a nine cap, you're going to hold on to it for 40 years, 50 years, and you're just going to let that cash flow ride, then cap rate makes a lot of sense. Then buying for yield makes a lot of sense. But if you're a typical value add investor like I am, we're buying, we're adding value, and we're going to sell it five to maybe at the most 10 years down the road. Looking at that cap rate is actually a lot of times better to buy at a low cap rate versus a high cap rate market. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, before we get started, I just want to talk about a few things. First of all, uh, I appreciate everybody listening. So go on to iTunes, uh, Stitcher, wherever you are, and make sure you subscribe to the show. I'd love to have uh, everybody subscribing to the show. Uh, second of all, if you are a listener, you heard our show, um, I'd love to get a rating review from you. So you can go on to iTunes. That's the best place to do it. I know you might be listening somewhere else, but iTunes is what's going to help us out the most. You can go into iTunes and give us a rating and review. And of course, five stars would be what we would uh, appreciate. Uh, give us a rating and review. That's going to really help our show out. So that's what I ask of of you as a listener, if you can do that, that'd be fantastic. Um, and then share, of course, share this uh, out on you know social media and, and whatever you want to do to help help that. That, that would be great. Uh, now, what I want to be able to do for you is I want you to join our Facebook page, and I want to learn just I want to learn about who you are, what you've got going on in business, what's exciting right now, what you're working on, and. Or maybe struggling with, and then what kind of advice, what kind of things should we be talking about on this show to help you accelerate your business, to help you make it to that next level? So go on our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth Facebook page, and uh, and just give us some feedback, or, or give give us some feedback about you. You know, I want to know what you've got going on. And I want to know what kind of questions you might have. Maybe I can't answer them. Maybe I can, but we can find somebody as a guest on the show to help us answer those. And then also, if you've got uh, any any uh, recommendations of guests too, I'd love to have them on the show as well. Uh, with that, I've been doing some coaching as well, and I've had been having a lot of fun coaching. And, and I want to take on a few more clients, not a ton, but a few more clients. And so if you do have interest or you know somebody that has interest in getting a, uh, a coach mentor, um, I would love to just have a discovery call, see if it's right for you. It might not be, but it could be. And so that's what I'd love to do. And, and I didn't believe, honestly, in, in getting a coach until personally I, I had one and saw the results that, that have happened with it. And it's, you know, we go through thinking that, um, we can do everything on our own, but sometimes it just takes that extra push for us to be able to get to that next level. Uh, the last thing I want to mention is John Stiles. He's on our show every single week, and he is a licensed real estate agent. So if you are looking in the state of Minnesota, John can help you out. So you know if, if that's the case, 
make sure you connect with John Styles uh, if you're looking for real estate and he can really help you get to that next level as well. Get some investment properties or sell your investment property. Welcome back everyone to another edition of Hump Day Hustle, the show where we focus on business and real estate as our core pillars of wealth creation. My name is John Stiles with Bridge Realty and I'm excited for another great episode. Today we're gonna to be talking about choosing your real estate market. Now something we've covered in the past, but we're gonna just dive deeper into it a little bit more today. And with that, uh, here is our host, Todd Dexheimer. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, John. That's great. Anything new in your business this week? Um, yeah, I mean, nothing crazy new. I'm still working on this, uh, this deal, just redlining PSA and, and getting everything done. It looks like it's, it's going to happen. So excited to have, uh, you know, a, a new uh, asset under management soon. Uh, of course, it's never under management until you actually close on the deal. Uh, so we do have a long ways to go there. We're still going to have to uh, you know, do the, do the money raise. We got to finish the due diligence. Uh, and then we have to actually, you know, get the financing and close on the property. And, and then of course, then it's the hard work, right? Then that's executing the business plan from there. So uh, right. it's the grind up to closing and then the grind really becomes a grind thereafter uh, because you've got a lot of investors that are expecting uh, the performance that your business plan said you'd, you'd uh, be able to perform at and, and that's what they want to see. They don't, they don't want to see uh, obviously the opposite. So, um, so yeah, I'm excited for that. And uh, that's kind of been my kind of a, my main focus other than trying to make sure all the tax stuff is done. And we talked about uh, taxes last week, but, you know, make sure all the tax stuff is done and our books are in line and our finances are right. Um, I had a lot of fun this week. It was Tuesday, which we just got down with the big snowstorm on Tuesday. The like snowstorm ended like, well, it was still kind of snowing, but pretty much ended a few hours before and went uh, and spoke at a um, apartment investor meeting and uh, spoke about, you know, how to scale your business. So was able to relate a lot of my experiences and scaling from, you know, doing, uh, having no units, obviously, and then some single families and then now into multifamily. And then also uh, talked a little bit about raising private capital and what that means and, and you know, how do you do it successfully and, and what are the precautions you need to take and obviously uh, dealing with investors and so on. So that was a lot of fun as well. Um, but other than that, that's it, man. Sounds like you're staying busy. I kind of trying to. Very good. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, continuing on with a lot of the daily grind. Um, today I did go to a real estate conference. It was called the property redevelopment and repositioning summit. Uh, that's put on, you've mentioned this organization before the real estate journal. Um, and they are putting on a lot of different events throughout the year here. So it seems like they've ramped it up this year. I don't remember there being nearly as much last year, especially the year prior to that. I don't remember there being half as half what they, they have this year. Yeah. I think this was the first annual of this particular one. Sure. Um, so it was interesting. It was kind of dry. Some of it because they were talking a lot about um, some of the details with environmental concerns in redevelopment. Yeah. Uh, which is important, but yeah, you're right. 
probably kind of a little bit boring. Yeah, but it was, it was interesting still. And, and sure. they did come at, at it from um, an industrial point of view as well. Um, okay. Some of the like um, vapor mitigation on the residential side, we think about just radon, but I guess in the industrial side, there's a lot more to it than that. And so it's a bigger issue in, in redeveloping warehousing and manufacturing properties. Um, and then they talked about historic tax credits and how you can get qualified for that and, and how that can be helpful uh, in order to finance your property. So. Okay. Yeah, a lot of good information. I mean, when, and when you're dealing with environmental concerns, there are there there is money for that, and uh, a lot of potential to get some some help. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of concern about the environment, um, and rightly so. So we want to make sure as we're doing development or redevelopment, we're protecting that. And so, yeah, good good stuff. Um, I missed it. I kind of was I was interested in going to it, but you know, just a lot going on and I kind of forgot about uh, the whole event anyway. And I don't think I would have probably been able to make it either way. So <laughs> yeah, you can only do so much. Yeah. Uh, I guess one interesting uh, statistic, they said that in the next five years, we're going to lose half of our malls that we have in the country. Hmm. And so there's a lot of talk about what to do with all that retail space, and then also all the parking that goes along with it. So that's an interesting thing to watch over the next several years. So there's some potential opportunity there too for uh, real estate investors that want to repurpose a, a mall uh, into potentially several different things. I mean, when you look at the, uh, the, the Brookdale Mall uh, in Brooklyn Center, uh, that was repurposed. They they kept a portion of it. They kept the Sears, which is now uh, gone. Um, but then they also ripped everything else down. I think Walmart went in place and uh, some little shops and restaurants. And they kind of opened that whole design up and changed it. I can see a, a good use for shopping centers to be, a lot of it's going to be torn down, I think. Uh, sometimes you can, you know, reuse it and, and put different, kind of businesses in it, but some of them are, so those malls are so huge that you've got just so much unneeded space where it just doesn't make any sense to keep the building or majority of the building. Uh, so I could see a lot of that turning into multi-housing. I could see they're turning into hotel space, into convention space, um, into some probably some government space, depending on where it's located. Uh, and it's more of that the boutique, the specialty uh, real t retail, or the big box store like the Walmart type retail where Walmart doesn't want to be in a mall, but the mall is typically in a good location where they would want to be there. They just don't want to be in the mall. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens if truly 50% of malls are going to go out of business. I wonder what will happen to the, the Mall of America. I mean, that's a huge mall. Um, People come from all over the place. I think the Twin Cities will probably try to protect that mall as, as, as much as they can because it does bring in quite a bit of business into our, our, uh, the Twin Cities and people come from all over. I and mean, when you go to the Mall of America, you hear all kinds of different languages going on uh, there. So people are coming up from all over the world and people are coming out. You hear all kinds of different accents. People are coming all from all over the country. So I would say that one's 
maybe safe, but um, yeah. Well, I would agree. I think the Mall of America is a unique one. It's it's more of a destination, and well, they. That- yeah, and they've done a good job, I think, over there, too, because there are hotels surrounding it. There are hotels in the Mall of America or connected to it. And then there's a lot of uh, entertainment within the mall itself. There's, you know, restaurants. There's, I think they've got a movie theater. They've got the whole, I used to be Camp Snoopy. Now it's something else. Um, what is it? Nickelodeon Universe. Nickelodeon Universe. And so, you know, you, you go there and it's, it's an experience. I mean, it's not just shopping, mm-hmm. but it's still, it's still about the shopping. So as these retail companies struggle, as the internet continues to, you know, disturb that market, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they do with some of those retail spaces that they're having a harder time filling. Um, you know, they got, they got to keep the profit going. So if they can't fill the spaces or they have to charge less than what's going to make the money, that's not going to keep the lights on. That's the biggest uh, probably concern is what are they going to do with maybe some of those retail spaces that just can't make it or, or maybe it's just a desirable enough where it'll just keep on turning into new retail spaces that people want to want to try to make happen. So, Yeah. I think I heard that uh, they've got a new water park planned for probably one of the largest indoor water parks uh, in the country or something like that for attached to the mall of America. Attached to the mall. Okay. Or right in that space somewhere. Cause they have a big one right next to it, I believe. So, right. Anyways, let's, uh, let's move on from the mall of America. If anybody wants to go there, we're, uh, we can help you out. Um, <clears throat> I know nothing about it actually. Choosing a market. Yeah. 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 So yeah, today we're going to talk about choosing a market, and one of the reasons why I want to talk about that is because I, I, I've been doing a, a decent amount of coaching lately, and, and I was just on a, you know, a few coaching calls this week, um, and we're going through you know, kind of the beginning steps, and a lot of the questions, same questions have been coming up, and one of those questions is, you know, how do, how do I choose a market? My market's really hot, and I want to, you know, go to a different market and and a lot of people say the same thing. My market's hot and I want to go to a different market. Well, if if everybody's market's hot, whose is, whose is not hot. And so there's, there's concern when you, when you say that, and we want to validate that that's actually true. So one thing I want to talk about first is validating it. Do you, should you really go to a different market? So we've got to look at, what kind of fundamentals do you need to see in a market? And does your market meet those fundamentals? If the answer is yes, then maybe you should think twice about going to a different market or, you know, at least be very active in your own market trying to find deals. Okay. So I personally have chosen to not invest in my own market. And, and I shouldn't say that I've chosen not to invest because I still look at properties. I look at deals. I aggressively am wanting to find a property here. Uh, I've talked to brokers all the time and I look at the, all the, uh, all the offerings that are coming out. And so I'm, I'm still aggressively looking in this market and I, I, you know, I make offers um, so it's, I haven't written my, my own market off, but there are a few reasons why I'm cautious about my market and why 
I did choose to go outside of my market. And that's kind of what I want to start with first. When I look at a market, it's got to have a couple factors. It's got to have good job growth, good, good employment growth. Twin Cities has both. It's got to have rent appreciation. Twin Cities has that. It has to have um, a government that is supportive to bringing in businesses and um, expanding the city and, and really, you know, being proactive. It has that kind of, but it has that. Um, you could argue maybe against it because we, uh, we do a lot of things to over, maybe overtax our, our businesses, but we do have a very diverse economy. We have that. So we've got a lot of good things going uh, for us. The couple things that are difficult about this market and, and why I'm a little apprehensive about this market. The, the main thing that I'm a little apprehensive about is that our rent affordability, I would say, is just not there. We're charging, we're overcharging our tenants. And the reason being is because it's been so competitive here. I mean, we, we have been one of the top markets in the nation as far as vacancy rates. We have the lowest vacancy rates in the nation. We've had that for years. I think we're falling out of the number one spot now, but we're, we're still in the top five. And so we're able to charge our tenants a lot of money. And when, it, when I have a property that comes up for rent, it goes right away typically. And it goes for a lot more than what it was previously renting for. I mean, we just put a property on the market that was re, that was leasing. And this is in the dead of winter, the worst time to rent. Guarantee if this was in the summer, we would have gotten even more. Um, but we put a property on the market that was renting for $1,200. And now we got $1,400. And we charged $1,200 a year and a half ago. So only in a year and a half, we're now able to raise it to $1,400, which I guarantee, again, if this was a summer, I would have been able to charge between fifteen dollars and $1,600. So our market, as far as rent affordability, is, is struggling. I would say um, I like markets that are in that 20 range. 20% of income goes to rent. Uh, Minneapolis is in the mid-30s range, so, so around... I can't remember the last statistic I saw. I think it was I think it was thirty six percent, but I might be wrong. I should have tried to pull it up. Um, of income goes towards rent, so it's it's higher than I would like to see. So that's the one thing that I'm very cautious about when I look at this. The Twin Cities is saying, what kind of rent growth are we going to continue to see? We've got to see income growth, in my opinion, before we see a lot more rent growth, at least sustainable rent growth. The other thing that I see, go ahead, John. Yeah, before you go on, uh, two things. One is I can attest to that with my own rental properties. I know I just rented one out for a February 1st move-in date, which again, as you said, terrible time to be trying to rent out a property in Minnesota where we've got now two feet of snow on the ground or whatever. Yeah, we just got two feet of snow in the last you know week and a half. Right. And 30 below temperatures. So within a... a maybe a week of uh, advertising and showing it, you know, I had interested people and I had a approved applicant and they're paying 
now 1295 for a unit that I used to get like 1100 for yeah. so like a $200 increase. Yep. So, and you didn't do anything to that property or very little, right? No, I mean, I did. I you, did. <laughs> oh, you did. Okay. I mean, I, so I, I updated some things, Okay. but, but overall, yeah, it isn't, it wasn't a huge value add. It was just, you know, routine getting things looking good again. Um, so, so did, was it just a regular turn or did you, uh, you know, do new countertops, cabinets, uh, tile, anything like that? It was like a, a low grade uh, renovation, new okay. flooring in the kitchen and bathroom and new countertops. Okay. Uh, so just a couple of things. Yeah. W which you should expect a rent bump if you do that. But a $200 rent bump for something small like that is, is really good for my, in my case, a $200 rent bump in my property, I did nothing, nothing. We replaced the carpet in the basement, but it needed to be replaced because it was peed on by the tenant's dog. Um, so that was, that was it. I mean, we did nothing. Yeah. Other than well, that. then a question I've got. So you talked about affordability and, and in the twin cities, we're somewhere in the 30% somewhere range. Yeah. Uh, do you know what that's been historically? Is that, are we, have we always been at that percentage or? Right. And that is a good question to ask, John. Um, the answer is the Twin Cities, no, has not historically been in the, in the 30s. We've been in the mid to upper 20s. We, we've never been like extremely affordable market, but we're now creeping up into where it's like, okay, what's going on? Why are we so unaffordable? Um, so I, I think you know, like in the early part of the 2000s, uh, all the way through, you know, maybe 2013, you know, we were in the upper 20s as far as affordability. Um, so if we were at that, um, and you're kind of at historical levels, that's okay. So that's, that's definitely something to look at is historically where you're, where are you based on, you know, the, the, the previous data? Um, because, just because it's just because the tenants are paying 35% of the income doesn't mean that they're going to stop paying that uh, when a recession happens, when that's what they've always been paying. Um, but when it's a, been a big change, I think that's where it's a little more concerning. So the last part of why I've struggled investing in the twin cities is the deal flow. We've had very low inventory. And now our inventory is being bought up by people from out of state, um, from people from all over that see our prices and we're, our, our apartments are going for, you know, let's call it 115000 a unit where their prices are at 250000 a unit. And they're going, wow, ours, we got a great deal here. Plus, you know, the fundamentals are fantastic for the most part, other than I would say the, uh, the um, affordability portion. And a lot of, most people don't look at affordability as, as being a factor. They just don't care about it. Most, I very rarely hear people mentioning that. And I think it's extremely important as we're coming up on potential recession in the near future. So, um, so, so yeah, I, we have very little inventory. The inventory is being picked from people that are paying way, way more than what I can conceive of paying. And so it's just, it's, it's hard to find deals here. So, so that leads us to, okay, 
Is it right to go to another market? And, and those are the questions. So, so as you're looking at a market and you're looking at, should I go out of state or should I stay in state? The answer is you should stay in state if you can, right? If you can. So stay in state, really look at your market, really make sure that you're making a good decision. The other thing is I would say is always stay active in your market. Always make sure you're building those relationships. I want to know the brokers. I want them to know me. Uh, doing a presentation like I did on Tuesday, even though uh, they weren't there, just being present. Uh, several, I had a couple brokers that reached out to me. Hey, Sai, you're speaking at that event. Great. You know, that's awesome. Uh, one person said they'd like to be there. Um, you know, they, they didn't show up, but we had a big snowstorm. So either way, you're being present in the market. They're, they're knowing your name. They're knowing you're a serious buyer. And that's important. So whether you buy a deal or not, you're part of the market. You're always keeping your pulse on the market. I think that's really important because buying locally, in my opinion, is the best strategy if you have a market that has good fundamentals. Now, what happens if I live in a market that has terrible fundamentals? What happens if I live in a market that's really small? Should I invest there? Well, the answer might be then no, right? If we're losing population, if it's really high crime, uh, maybe, this, maybe the whole MSA, uh, you know, the, the city and all the suburbs, or maybe there's not even suburbs. Maybe it's a you know eighty thousand people or forty thousand people or even smaller. Uh, should I invest there? The answer then might be no, right? So maybe you never want to look in your backyard because of the city. You know, if you got a, if you're living in a city that has forty thousand people in population and it's losing population. Well, I would say, yeah, don't even think about investing there unless you can get a deal for free or very very cheap. You know. Um, so then look out of state. So, so anyways, look first in your backyard, build those relationships in your backyard. Don't turn your back on your backyard and, and then you can look out of state. Yeah, I would say that's really important. I mean, we know in this business, it's a lot about your relationships with other people and those deals can be made or made or not based on those relationships. So if you're not even developing relationships in your own marketing, letting people know what you're doing, you know, you're not going to be able to take advantage of the opportunities and, and values that they can bring to yeah. your business. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, one, one thing I, I hear is how oh, the cap rates are just so low here. They're, they're so compressed and um, you know, so, so people go, okay, you know, let's say I'm in, I'm in, um, I'm in California, right? I'm in San Francisco. And they go, oh, my cap rates are so compressed. And, and it might be the case where you shouldn't invest in San Francisco. I'm not telling you you should because I, I haven't studied that market whatsoever. I know that cap rates are compressed and I know that prices are really high. That's all I know. Um, but, but just by saying that and then going, oh, the cap rates, I can, get a, I can only get a B-class property for a, a, let's call it a four cap. I don't know if that's true or not, but a, a four cap and, and that's terrible. Well, but is it, is it terrible? Because what have your cap rates compressed from? If they compress from a four and a half down to a four, is that really terrible? Cause they're, they're going to bounce back up to a four and a half. 
So let's go to, let's say, Cleveland, Ohio. I've picked on Cleveland before, so I'll pick on it again. So let's go to Cleveland, Ohio, where we can get a cap rate at a, at a nine and a half cap. And we go, that's a great deal. Is it? Is it a great deal? Was the cap rate in Cleveland in that particular area before the market got compressed in Cleveland, was that selling at a 12 cap? And now, you, now you're buying it at a nine and a half cap? So you think that the cap rate's good, but in reality, that cap rate at a nine and a half cap, nobody that lives in Cleveland would even think about buying that because it's way overpriced, yet you think it's a great deal. And that's what's happening. Like, that's what I said in Minnesota. I mean, people are going, hey, it's a great deal. I can buy this B-class property at a 5.5 a, a cap. And, and we're sitting here going, holy cow, just three years ago, that was going to sell for an eight cap. You know, now somebody's buying it for a five and a half cap. Like you're out of your mind. Um, so you, so it's not always good to be buying because you think the yield's better somewhere else. Now, if you're going to hold on to it, if it's going to be a legacy property, you're buying it a nine cap, you're going to hold on to it for 40 years, 50 years, and you're just going to let that cash flow ride. Then, cap rate makes a lot of sense, then buying for yield makes a lot of sense. But if you're a typical value add investor like I am, we're buying, we're adding value, and we're going to sell it five to maybe at the most 10 years down the road. Looking at that cap rate is actually a lot of times better to buy at a low cap rate versus a high cap rate market. Yeah, the cap rates, they're changing and, and that's only one of the metrics to be watching. So yeah. if that's your only, that's, that seems to be the main thing that's talked about. Well, what's your cap rate? Well, you know, that's important to be aware of, but it's definitely not the only thing. Yeah, well, and, and, and what I say about that too is when we go, oh, cap rates are so compressed and prices are so high here. And, and I go, okay, well, let's just look back at historicals. You know, again, San Francisco, if it's selling at a four cap and it used to sell at a four and a half cap, yeah, cap rates got compressed, but not that much. Same thing if it was selling, maybe it was selling at a five cap. Um, so you, you go that, but here's the other thing, okay? Like, what if we revert back to that five cap? Okay, so we, we plan our exit on that five cap. Now, what happens if I got a five cap property and I can raise the net operating income by $100,000? I just raised my value of my property by $2 million. Okay, so if I've got a 10 cap property and I do the same thing, raise the NOI exact same amount by $100,000, I gained a million dollars worth of value. Both good, but I like $2 million better than $1 million. I don't know about you. <laughs> so when we look at cap rate, we got to be careful to really consider the whole picture. Like you said, is you got to look at the whole thing. Also, when we look at cap rate, I mean, typically a five cap property, not always, but you know, our rents are going to be higher, right? So maybe our rents are in San Francisco are at $3,000 for that unit. And in Cleveland, they're at $500. Well, guess what? If Cleveland goes up by 2%, $500 turns into $510. If San Francisco goes up, $3,000 turns into $3,600. Am I right? 
I, I don't do math in my head. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong, but either way, it turns into a lot more. So, um, so you know, look at sorry, not three three thirty three thousand sixty dollars, three thousand sixty dollars. So, but but big difference, right? So three thousand sixty that I gained fifty extra dollars, right? Just just because my rents are already higher at a higher point still raised by 2%, but I gained an extra 50 bucks. Well, guess what that does to your NOI when you multiply that by 100 units? Mm -hmm. And now I gained 50 times 100. So um, it's a big difference. All right, where are we at, John? Where should I go with this? <laughs> so we, we want to make sure the, the market has great fundamentals. We want to make sure we're looking at more than just the cap rate. We want to make sure we're looking at all the different metrics. Yeah. Um, and that the like I think you touched on this, but that it's in a it's in a location that has um, growth potential. Right. Uh, you briefly mentioned like if it, if the population is declining, that's pro maybe not a good play. Right. And there might be some other factors where you, if you have a inside scoop on something, but but generally if if there's increased population projected, then you can hope and plan that you're going to have an increased demand for your product, the, the apartment. So, yeah. So I want to talk now about, you know, identifying that market. You decided your, your market's not the place to be. And uh, you want to go to that next market. Uh, there's a couple of things to think about before we even like think about the actual market itself and the fundamentals in the market. Think about a couple things. Do you want to go to that market? Like, does it does it even make sense for you to go there? Um, are you are you just going there because of uh, you know because you feel like you have to? Also, can you can you get there easily without it being a pain in the butt? Right. So, do I have to jump on two flights just to get there? And is it going to take me six hours and cost me eight hundred dollars every time I want to go there? guess what? You're not going to want to go there very much if it's costing you $800,000 to get there and it's taking you six hours or more, right? Um, so can you drive there and, and you know, less than, I'd say for me, you know, less than four hours or can I get there in, you know, less than four hours? And that means leaving my house and getting all the way there and, and out of the airport in, in four hours. Um, so basically, can I get a direct flight? Um, for That's for me. Now, you might be different as you're listening. You might say, well, I'm okay with, you know, with it taking a little longer than that. But for me, I, I want to be able to get there for under $400. I want to be able to get a direct flight um, at the very most one stop. Um, and... I want flights to be, you know, pretty, I want there to be a lot of options for my flights. Um, can, you, can you talk about or elaborate on why is it important for you as the investor to go to see your properties? Well, yeah, I, I think you're, I mean, you're, you're putting, 
for me, I'm putting other people's money into it. I think it's extremely important that I know what's going on. It's, it's a lot easier to meet with the property manager at the property. You want to see what's going on. And there's a lot of stuff we can do online now. We can get pictures, we can get videos, all that kind of stuff, but nothing beats actually being there. And then the, the other thing is you've got to build relationships. There's no other way to build relationships, really good relationships without actually being there. And then of course, due diligence, you need to go through those units and yeah, sure. Can you pay somebody? But for me, I, that's not comforting to just pay somebody to go through the units and me not to actually be there and physically see it. Um, so that's my personality that I need to be there. I need to build relationships. I need to be able to see the property. I need to be able to feel the neighborhood and understand what's going on in the neighborhood, all that kind of stuff. Computers are great. We can really do a lot and, and we can curb and phones and stuff. We can curb how many times we need to go there. But I think being there is extremely important. So yeah, do you want to be there? Does it make sense for you to go? What's it going to do to your family life? Um, all that kind of stuff is what you got to look at when you go, should I invest out of state? Yep. Yeah, as much as we'd like, I'm very a trust trusting person. Uh, as much as we'd like to think the best of people, you know, there are dishonest people out there. And I've heard stories of, um, you know, business partnerships going wrong. And then you have to go out to the property and turns out the contractor was taking pictures of another property for the work they didn't do. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. All kinds of stuff happens in this industry, in every industry. And you, you just, you need to be able to have boots on the ground. You do need to have people you trust that are at the property, but, but being able to have boots on the ground is, is extremely important. And that's another valuable thing about investing in your own backyard is that you're very close to your property. So you can have boots on the ground a lot easier. It's just a lot easier to maintain everything. Uh, if you want to manage, manage yourself, I wouldn't say being at the property every day, self-managing, uh, I guess that's up to you, but even just running your own management company. It's a lot easier to do if it's in your own backyard. It's a lot easier to hire people and, and understand if they're doing their jobs and all that kind of stuff. Yep, definitely. So what do we look at now that we said, yeah, I can get there. It, it's affordable. Um, you know, that market is a place that I don't mind being going to. What do we look at? Okay. So for me, we look at job creation. What are the jobs that are happening? It, do we have job growth happening? Or do we have new companies coming in? What's the employment data saying? We can search keywords, you know, uh, new companies, employment data, future growth, job growth. And we could put that with the city. So I, I would do, you know, new companies plus whatever city you're looking at. Uh, you can also find stuff on like with the Met Council, with the Chamber of Commerce. Um, and then you can find stuff with the brokerage firms, you know, Marcus and Millchap, Colliers, CBRE, um, all the uh, brokerage firms usually have stuff. The, the other thing you can do is look for and look in the Bureau of Labor Statistics um, or look in the city website in particular as well. And there's sometimes there's other maybe nonprofits or branches of the government that are helping bring companies in and they'll have a lot of data too. Uh, Cincinnati, for instance, is a city I invest in. 
They've got um, uh, Ready Cincinnati, and they help try to bring businesses in. Uh, so, so there's there's plenty of information out there. You want to look at the the historical data, but you also want to look at what is the future kind of looking like as well. Um, where are there jobs coming in? Who's announcing they're going to be building or expanding or coming into the city and make sure that, you know, that it makes sense for you to be there. If you just look at like a Forbes report or, you know, something like that, usually those are pretty backwards thinking, you know, they're, they're looking at the past history. So they're not always the best indicator of if it's a good city to be in today, just tell you if it's a good city to be in yesterday. Yeah. So how much time do you typically put into researching a market before you go into it? Um, is it like a read one article or is it, uh, is it, and I'm just saying that and jokingly, but um, spend several weeks, months, years researching a market? That's a good question. You know, I've never really tracked my time on it, but uh, a lot of time, I mean, so, so there's a couple phases, right? So phase one of, of a new market is, um, you know, I might, I might just see an article, like what are the top markets in, to invest in in real estate? I'll go, Oh, I see, um, you know, Atlanta, Georgia's on there. Okay. Let me do a quick little research on Atlanta. Oh yeah. Atlanta's had some good job growth going on. That sounds great. You know, now, you know, kind of, Okay, what, what's population growth? Oh, yeah, population growth is good. And I can kind of start digging into it. And then I can go, okay, you know, maybe I don't like Atlanta because of this. Or maybe I do like it because of this. And then really dig in deep. So a lot of times it's like phase one. Is it a market I'd even like consider? Phase two, all right, let's dig in a little farther. Phase three, all right, this is a market to really see with potential. Let's really dig in and let's do as much research as possible. And then eventually phase four is going to that market boots on the ground and really, really making sure we understand the intricacies of the city as much as we possibly can. So do you have at a least certain- an hour? In other words, <laughs> you have a certain number of markets within each of those phases that consistently kind of like a pipeline um, where there's a bunch going in, but then they get weeded out. Um, for me, you know, it, I, I would say, yeah, I, I'm always constantly looking kind of at markets on a high level, you know, but, it, but you also have to be looking at the markets you're currently investing in. So I'm always doing that as well. So I'm always looking at the job creation. I'm looking for, you know, new companies that are saying they're, they're leaving or coming in and what's the population doing, all that kind of stuff. So I'm doing a lot of data research on the current markets. And then, yeah, I'm always kind of doing some, at least some, you know, kind of preliminary poking around at, at other markets. Um, it's easy to get distracted if you're just focusing on that all, all the time. So I, I try not to do that. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know, at any one time, I'm always looking at a few markets, just poking around and seeing if they've got potential. Yeah, but it can definitely be a time-consuming thing. I know even for knowing our own market, you got to dedicate 
yeah. some time to reading the articles and, and learning what's going on. Yeah, I think that's a big mistake that people make is they don't look at their own market closely. They, they either push your market aside and say it's too expensive and they don't look at it. There's no deals, whatever. Or they do the opposite and they just, they invest in their market because they know it, but they don't pay attention to where the population is increasing and where the population is decreasing. Where's the crime happening? What are the schools that are good? Is there job creation? What kind of industries are coming in? What kind of industries are leaving? They don't pay attention to that stuff in their own city because they just go, oh, I know it's the city I've lived in my whole life. And that's a big mistake. You don't know much about your city when you've just lived there your whole life. You honestly don't. You're kind of, I, to me, most people are, they have blinders on. They have no clue about their city. Uh, a lot of people coming from out of state know a whole heap of a lot more about the city. Yep. I know, uh, my wife and I, if we, if, as we have hosted people in our Airbnb and they've asked us, you know, where's the great pub to go, go to, or where's the great restaurant where, you know, what should we do while we're here? Like, well, I guess we should get out more often. And, uh, so we can advise our guests more about what's going on here. Yeah. A, a, a lot of people when they travel and that, those are sometimes the better, better websites to look for when you're going, Hey, what should we do this weekend in, you know, in our city is, well, you can look at what, what are people doing that are traveling? Yep. And that's probably where you want to check out. You probably haven't even been there yet. So, right. Um, then, so I want to keep this a little shorter, but uh, the next thing is the increase in population. We want to make sure there's population growth and we want to look at kind of the trends that have been happening. And then we want to look at, you know, where the trends are going and that couples with the job growth. Uh, I was just on a coaching call uh, yesterday with a, with a client and we were looking at, uh, at a city that has had population loss um, they were kind of interested in that city because there's a lot of quote unquote good deals there. So they were looking at a city that had population loss. And I think that was kind of eye opening to them as well. Uh, and it didn't take me very long to look it up and find out that it had a population loss, but they went, wow, I, you know, that's interesting because several people had told them that, that they're investing in that city because it's a great city to invest in. When you look at it, you go, okay, but why is it a good city to to uh, invest and they're losing, you know, um, I think they're, I think last year or last decade, I mean, they lost about 5% of their population in the last decade. You know, that's a half a percent a year. That's a pretty good rate. Um, now, is there opportunity in that city? Potentially, potentially it's in some of the suburbs. So not always does population play into it. We also want to look at, okay, what's, what's the whole factor? Or is the population growth ending up in the suburbs and the city's losing population too? So that's, that was one thing I advised them. I said, okay, well, now we need to find out why are these investors investing there? Are they investing in the city proper? Or are they investing in, you know, maybe the path of progress, which is going away from the city? And if that's the case, then we need to start looking at that. Right. Those can go in cycles too. I know I just read an article recently about our downtown in Minneapolis, how the population has increased recently to the 1950s level, I think it said, mm -hmm. which 
after the 1950s, it had, we'd had a big decline as, as people went out to the suburbs. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, Minneapolis used to have a population, I believe close to 500,000 and it went down into the, the mid 300,000s there for a little while. And now it's back up and, uh, uh, somewhere in the in the four hundred thousands, but it's approaching. It's getting it's getting much closer to where it once was. Uh, so it's having a resurgence. Um, so you know what's happening with that with the city, and is it going to continue? I think that those are things to really look at as you're going. Should I invest in Minneapolis proper, or should I just invest in the Twin Cities in general because the population of the Twin Cities in general is growing? But again, we want to look at specifically where the property is that we're looking at and is there growth there or is there a decline? Because if you just in 1970, if you just said, Oh, I'm going to invest in Minneapolis area. Well, the Minneapolis area, the twin cities was growing in population in the 1970s, but Minneapolis itself was losing population. So if you just said, I'm going to invest in Minneapolis then and you threw your money there you were actually, that was actually a bad investment because it was losing population. Potentially tenants were moving out of your building. Yep. Um, so next, next thing is, you know, what, what are the permits? Uh, what are the buildings coming out of the market? Permits being pulled. We can look at what the absorption rate is and, you know, we can get some information on that. There's a, a webpage, uh, business journal is a really good uh, web page. There's typically, I think on most business journals, uh, most big cities at least right now, you can go to the crane watch in your business journal. I know Minneapolis has it. I know uh, a lot of cities have it. And they'll tell you where the multifamily is being built, where other, you know, commercials being built. So we can kind of see that too. And with that, we can pay attention to the trends too. It's not always we go, oh, I don't want to invest there because there's three new apartments going in. Uh, if there's a lot of other things going, a lot of commercial, uh, maybe some some industrial stuff like that going in, uh, it still might be a great place to invest in because that's the path of progress. So we can look at uh, where these permits are being pulled to and then what the absorption rate is as well. Yeah, that's very important points. See, see what the plans are. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the reports that you read, like you've mentioned, are are what has happened so far. But those proposed and and planned projects are what's about to happen. So, yep. definitely important indicator there. Yep. And then and then with the next thing, John, is is government planning too. You know, not only what's private industry doing, but what's the government doing. Uh, and what are the nonprofits doing? What are they doing to bring businesses in? What types of, ta- what what are they targeting? And then are they planning on doing, you know, major things in certain areas to try to help bring value to those areas? I mean, right now we have opportunity zones. Um, you know, what's happening in those opportunity zones? It's really early to tell in those uh, opportunity zones if there's anything good that's going to happen but they're they're something to keep an eye on um, and it might make sense to not even necessarily do an opportunity fund but to invest in an opportunity zone um, if there's good things that are happening so and then we want just 
it's, it's important to find out what their economic planning says. So you can read that in your local business journal. You can go to the local website, you can uh, call the department of economic planning uh, and find out what the plans are. Yeah. And uh, I know that in Minneapolis, you know, we've just had a recent a plan proposed for 2040. There's yeah. a lot of debate about that, but yeah. definitely uh, plans in place. So uh, interesting to watch that discussion there. Yeah. And depending on what happens there, I mean, building costs are really high right now, so that it might not really affected as much but basically one of the big things is that they want more density in the city so they're allowing you to turn a single family into a duplex or whatever and, and they're allowing a lot higher density now um, I had a four unit building in the city uh, that could now be easily turned into a six unit building I, I sold it but that could easily be turned into a six unit building Prior to uh, some of this planning, it would have been a lot more difficult to do because it didn't have any off-street parking. But now that doesn't matter as much. The city of Minneapolis is figuring that people are going to be driving less than they actually are. People are going to continue to drive less. They're trying to get more public transportation going. Um, they think the uh, these uh, driverless cars, you know, are probably coming and, and stuff like that, where people just won't need park on the street as much, um, which in a snow emergency, I think everybody's going to maybe uh, be swearing at the city, but hey, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, definitely interesting. Uh, one of the, obviously we don't want to dive too deep into this one, but uh, they were talking about allowing four unit properties on any parcel, any residential parcel in the city. And uh, mm -hmm. so that did meet a lot of backlash from those single family homeowners uh, that didn't want that in their backyard, but um, yeah, they're, they're planning for a dense future. So. Yep. Um, so the next thing is affordability and we already hit on affordability. I think it's extremely important. I think most people very much underplay what the rent affordability is. And we're looking at what your median income is in an area. And we want to look at the actual sub market, but, we want to look at, we can look at the market as a whole, and then we can look at the particular submarkets that we're looking at investing in. But you don't want to have a market that the tenants just can't afford to live in your property because they can afford it now when the economy's good. But when the economy struggles and is in trouble, they can't afford it anymore. So what do they do? They go live with mom and dad. They go um, find a couple roommates to live with they move out of your place as soon as they can. If, if you're not dropping rent, they move out of your place as soon as they can. They go find something else to live in. And so that forces you now to drop your rents, to have high vacancies, and can really put a lot of downward pressure on your property. So you want to look for places, in my opinion, they have about you know 25% rent to income um, or less potentially even. 30% is, is kind of the high end. Now, we already talked about there's certain markets, New York, um, there's, you know, San Francisco, the, the, I'm sure LA, there's other markets that we got to really look at, okay, well, what's, what's reality as well? It's, people do really good investing in New York when rent affordability is actually not quite there. 
but what's our alternative as well? So we have to look at that. What's our, what's our vacancy? What's our alternative? Where are they going to go? It's super expensive to buy a house there. So we also have to look at affordability, rent affordability versus home affordability. If it's super affordable to buy a house and it's uh, expensive to rent, that's like a double-edged sword, right? Um, so we want to kind of look at those, both of those factors together. Yeah. And I don't know about you, I don't have a ton of relationships with people on the coast, but whenever I talk to a few people there, you know, it's like, oh, it's so expensive to, to live here. can't believe it, you know, and I don't think they're long for staying in that area. So it just shows you that there's probably a high turnover rate for, you know, as long as they have that really great paying job, they're good to go. Right. But, but if there's a job transfer or, a, or downsizing or something, then, you know, they're not going to stick around. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So absorption rate. And vacancy rate would be next. You want to look at, you know, how quickly are units turning over, new units that are being brought to the market, how quickly are they being rented and leased up uh, and staying occupied? And then what's the vacancy rate, overall vacancy rate? And uh, we also want to look at what the concessions are too and how many concessions are being given uh, just to keep tenants into the buildings. So, Obviously, the, the lower the vacancy rate, the better. The quicker the, uh, the absorption rate, the better. And those are things that we want to look at. We also want to look at historic vacancy. I think that's really important to look at. So when we're looking at, uh, you know, let's say the Twin Cities again, we look at the Twin Cities and we say, well, right now we're at a uh, 3% vacancy rate, which we're somewhere around there. I think we're a little trending up now a little bit, but say we're at 3% vacancy rate, we want to underwrite at 3%. Well, that's maybe dangerous if our average vacancy rate in a typical uh, market is closer to 5%, which I think we're, that's about where we're, we're historically at is, is right around that five and a half to 6% somewhere around there. Um, so we want to look at, you know, what our, what our typical historical rate is. And I'd rather underwrite a historical or a little more even conservative than historical. Yeah, and they even when you're going to get financing, usually the banks will require a minimum of five percent or more. Yeah. Uh, if the uh, market is actually lower, they'll do that minimum. Yeah, and you mentioned concessions. I would say that that's probably the your hidden expense. You know, yes, because uh, we we focus on what are we scheduled to get for our rent. Um, but if you're giving away a month or two just to get people in the door you know, what are you actually collecting? So. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So the, the next one, really the last one, uh, and I didn't focus on this uh, until just recently I started thinking, you know, this is really valuable is what's your opportunity to purchase. So we can pick the, what we think is the best market in the world we go out, oh, we can get properties for what we think is the right price. Um, everything meets our fundamentals. The market meets our fundamentals. The, pri the pricing meets our fundamentals. You know, we can get properties that actually we're able to buy. But is there, what's the opportunity to purchase? Are there properties coming on the market? How many properties are coming on the market? 
So that's really important. And you can, this can be done. It takes a little bit of work, but it can be done by going on to LoopNet and looking at how many listings are on LoopNet, going to, you know, CBRE, Colliers, ARA, all the big brokerages, going to smaller, the smaller brokerage websites and finding out how many buildings have sold. Now, some websites, some city websites, it's very easy. You can actually search by the, the uh, unit count. And, you know, so you can search by 40 plus units and you can find out how many buildings were sold. You can look right there and go, oh, okay, last year there was, you know, 38 buildings sold. And the year before there was 36. And the year before that there was 42. And we can say, okay, yeah, that makes sense to invest here. Maybe it doesn't because that's not enough. So we can do that. And so if you have, let's just say you go, okay, I got five cities I'm kind of leaning towards, including my own. What I would do is go through those five cities. And that's almost one of the first steps after you say, this is, has some opportunity. This is still in kind of the, uh, the phase one preliminary research. And then go through those cities and decide which cities are actually having inventory come out and have the most amount of it. And you want to choose the cities that have the highest amount of opportunity for you to purchase because it takes a while to get a property. You're going to have to write plenty of offers. And if you only have five properties to write offers on, guess what? You're going to have a tough time buying four properties this year. Yep. That says a lot. And I don't want to talk bad about my market being that I'm a broker or an agent here. Uh, but yeah, there's not a lot available. That that's been one of the issues with my investors lately is just what you know. There's nothing to opportunity to purchase. Yeah. So, John, your job as a as a as a realtor is to go out and and tell these sellers, look, it's time to sell. You've got tons of buyers waiting on the sidelines, wanting to buy your property. Sell it now before the market changes. Mm -hmm. So, um, what's that? We just need them to listen. Yeah, you, you need them to listen. Yeah, a lot of people are apprehensive to sell because, hey, things are good. It's hard to buck the trend. It's, honestly, it's very hard to buck trends. When the trend does change, then they are kicking themselves for not selling or they maybe rush in to sell and they take a lot more or a lot less profit than they otherwise would have. And that's typically what happens. People go, oh man, I should have sold. I'm going to sell now before the market crashes. And it's already on its way down. They lost, you know, 10% already in value. Uh, they should have sold, but it's too late now. So, Well, in our current situation uh, with the competitive nature, I know just a quick story from the conference I went this morning, went to this morning, the Somebody mentioned that they bought this large building. It was a different asset class. It was office, I believe. But he mentioned he had a seven-day uh, due diligence period before $5 million went hard. And uh, he said it was crazy to, to try to do that, but that's what it took to get the deal done. Um, so it shows it, the arc. That's, that's wild. I mean, I, I, I think I've talked about on this show, there was a deal in the Twin Cities that uh, a company or a group bought from out of state and they had never seen the property. They only looked at the financials, but they put $3, $3 million worth of earnest money hard day one. 
without looking, ever looking at the property. To me, that's crazy. Yeah. Good, good luck. I hope they do well, but I might be buying it from them in, in a few years. <laughs> um, so that's all I got, man. I think it's just really important to, to, again, to consider your own market. And then as you look at different markets, you've got to really look at the whole picture of the market and what's going on. Yep. Well, and if you're listening to this episode uh, and you're not familiar with all those different steps, you know, it's probably worth listening to this again. Make sure you take notes, write it down, make your checklist so that you can really systematize this process when you're looking at different markets. Yep. And if they go to pillarsofwealthcreation.com, uh, they can actually go on there and they'll find, I wrote a blog uh, article on this and they'll find the blog article with uh, all this information on it. And it has some resources they can, uh, they can choose as well to get more information. So. Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, once you've gotten through the blog article, be sure to go over to our Facebook page and comment on this episode. Let us know what your thoughts are. Which markets are you reviewing? And um, what are your thoughts about them, pros and cons about different markets today? Um, we like to continue this conversation there. Or you can go to our YouTube channel, Pillars of Wealth Creation. Again, we're on, we're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. It'd be great to have your review and rating right there. Awesome, John. Um, appreciate you uh, being part of it and have a good rest of the day. Make every day Saturday, man. Thank you.